Welcome back everybody, I'm your host Simon Severino and today the Sprinter is in the house with us, the real Sprinter, New York Times best-selling author and Guinness World Record Master athlete Brad Kearns. We will discuss why the morning routine matters, how to leverage micro-workouts and so much more. This is not just business advice, this is life advice. Take notes, I'm gonna take notes, everybody take notes. Welcome, everybody. Brett Kearns. Oh, my gosh, Simon, you get me so excited with your positive energy. I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. Thanks for having me. I love your videos and I am following you since since many, many, many years because uh, I have watched your your triathlon stuff when you were, you know, one of the fastest or even the fastest. What was your what was your your ranking? I had some high moments in my nine-year career as a professional triathlete. That was a long time ago, but it was a great journey, and it informed a lot of the ways that I live life since then. But when I when I raced, I I had a highlight of uh, being the national champion twice in in USA, and I was ranked number three in the world at my best year. And that took a lot of work and a lot of timing to get there. And I also struggled and suffered and got my butt kicked by guys who were faster than me. So when you put all the experiences together, that's when you have something wonderful. I, I learned a lot. You know, they say you never learn much when you win or when you succeed. And that's not true because when, when things go well and you can really appreciate it and, and reference how you got there, that's really helpful. And then you also learn a lot from struggle and failure too. And I want to hear everything because I kind of see an arc from where you were just the super performer to where you also became super performer with the longevity aspect and started <laughs> micro workouts and more of a more of a sprint uh, and the um, te technologies that you are applying. So if you look back, how how did how did your training change over the years, over the decades? Oh my gosh, it changed as, changed as dramatically as you can imagine. So I think when we're young, uh, when we're, we're athletes in school, uh, it's a beautiful phase of life. Uh, the, the, the youth here in America uh, like to play high school football and it's the centerpiece of the culture. And I'm really, um, I'm really down on those violent collision sports that you pay for the rest of your life with injuries and uh, you know, the tragedies that occur to the players that get injured. Uh, but that's sort of an aside. But you know, when you're in your uh, youthful years and you can dedicate your heart and soul to athletic goals, it's a really wonderful and valuable thing. However, in many cases, the higher you rise, especially when you get to the elite level, these athletic goals do not <laughs> align very well with your health, your general state of health, nor, of course, your longevity. So when I was a triathlete, I looked like a fit guy. I had a strong and body that was able to go fast in swimming and biking and running. But inside, I was kind of falling apart all the time. I was always on that edge of overtraining, breakdown, burnout, illness, injury, uh, fatigue. And I suffered from a lot of uh, different uh, fallouts and repercussions of pushing my body that hard 
uh, day after day, and also combining that with traveling all over the world and racing, uh, you know, in these in these events, and then getting on a plane and going somewhere else. So uh, the, the the journey lasted ten years, and I retired at the age of thirty. And I'm telling you, Simon, when I was thirty years old and finished with my career, I woke up every morning and I felt like I was eighty years old because my body creaked and ached and I couldn't put pressure on my right foot because my severe case of plantar fasciitis, I couldn't walk until I actually hopped over to the jacuzzi tub and put my foot in with the jets and had to rotate through a range of motion. And then I could get out, lace up my shoes and go run six or eight or 10 miles. So it was kind of a ridiculous existence in that way. But that's what the elite athlete is all about is, you know, pushing those edges and giving everything to peak performance. And then you you get spit out the other side and you're like, okay, now what am I going to do? And interestingly for me, because I was so immersed in the endurance scene that I thought fitness represented the ability to go run for an hour through the trails or ride your bicycle to the top of the hill uh, for you know a few hours on the weekend. So I did that for quite a few years and I put a little checkbox uh, on the chart saying, yes, I was still a fit former professional athlete. And that uh, was something I rode on for a while. And then I realized how pathetic and narrow my fitness competency was. So yes, I could still ride my bicycle from the bottom of the hill to the top. I could still run an hour, two hours on the trails, whatever you asked me to do in an endurance setting. But if my neighbor had, uh, if there was a rainstorm and my old uh, elderly neighbor wanted me to uh, lift some sandbags to block her house from flooding, the next morning I woke up and oh, my back is sore and my knees ache and I, you know, I, I was good for nothing. So I had to broaden my concept of fitness and that started a really nice journey in recent decades where I have disparate athletic goals. I have goals that I believe contribute to my longevity and all that's great stuff. They're still fun. They're still enjoyable. I still uh, compete with great passion and competitive intensity, but it's not that extreme type of experience that occurred when I was uh, racing on the professional circuit. And this is where there is so much to unpack and I have so many questions. One about your 20s. Now, in, in hindsight, looking back, it's easier to see it. Which things would you have watched more carefully? Was it, because many right now are listening, they are on fire, they are in the midst of their career, they're building something beautiful. And of course, we all say, yeah, I'm enjoying it, this is not work. They are in the midst of high performance. And I don't think that they have clarity on which things they could check. If you could check in your 20s, would you check inflammation? Would it be some blood parameters? Would it be sleep or, or something or happiness or something completely different or regeneration time? What would you actually check? Yeah, good question. And I should first answer to the typical listener. And I think the thing we really need to understand in today's life is the importance of sleep, rest, rejuvenation, and downtime. And we have this uh, flawed notion that if you work harder for more hours, that you're going to be more productive. And that has been widely and strongly refuted by the world's leading experts in the emerging science. I like the Huberman Lab podcast. He goes into detail about how the brain functions. Um, the sleep experts like Matthew Walker talking about if you minimize, if you get insufficient sleep, you're 20% slower at all your peak cognitive tasks in the ensuing days. And so if you stay up an extra hour to clear through your email and out of those 27 
seven replies, one of them you screwed up and sent to the wrong person or clicked the wrong button when you tried to uh, buy an airline flight or order something, you spend 23 minutes the next day unwinding your mistake and all kinds of examples like that. Now, when I was that young athlete, I did everything I could to dedicate my life to the energy output in the workouts and the races. So I slept like crazy. I had tons of downtime. I had a very simple, easy life. I wasn't doing a lot of sandbags on people's <laughs> rainy driveways because I had to rest and I had to get my sleep. And then it was time to go crush another swim workout. But I definitely got my rest and I led that balanced life as, as I possibly could when I had dismounted the bike or finished from the run. And that I think helped me tremendously the one thing that I would want to um, have a do-over on is we didn't have the knowledge and the awareness of healthy eating because we were following the flawed programming of the leading government agencies and health authorities at the time that this grain-based high-carbohydrate diet was the way to fuel peak performance. And in one paradigm, it is because if you have a lot of uh, crappy processed carbs in your diet, that's going to be your preferred fuel source when you get on the bike or swim laps or run on the trails or do whatever workout, lifting weights in the gym, because you've trained your body to become what we call carbohydrate dependent. And so what's been great about my life's work in the past 13 years, working with Mark Sisson and others, promoting this message of ancestral health is that you can disengage from this carbohydrate dependency lifestyle caused by, uh, you know, adverse modern, modern eating practices and become what we like to call fat adapted or a fat burning beast where fat is your preferred energy source. You can skip a meal and you still feel fine. That's an indication that you're good at burning body fat, right? You can eat nutritious meals from the ancestral food categories and we don't have to argue the particulars of whether vegan or carnivore is better or whether you should be paleo or keto. It's just choosing healthy, nutritious foods that contribute to your overall ability to, to burn fat gracefully. Metabolic flexibility is the concept of being able to burn a variety of fuel sources. And I think I would have had an advantage with performance and recovery had I fueled my exercise endeavors decades ago from a more nutritious diet rather than the giant bowls of pasta and cereal and consuming all the energy bars and the powdered drinks. Oh, so the main lever you would, you would pull is diet. Well, there's also another one, I think, and this might be relevant to anyone who has fitness goals and is training hard. And I'm really appreciating, it's sort of an emerging message. It's kind of a, a change in the fitness culture and the fitness philosophy, something as, as best I've seen in the last, you know, many decades. And we're finally realizing that this mentality of struggle and suffer, the no pain, no gain approach, where you're obsessed with consistently putting your body under a stress load day after day after day in the interest of getting fit or getting bigger muscles or running faster is finally being rejected. So I'm gonna call it a kinder, gentler approach to your peak performance goals, whatever they are, if it's strength training, if it's sprinting, or if it's extreme long durance, long distance. And not everyone's on board the train. It's sort of a, an emerging concept. And so if your listeners want to get on the cutting edge, the idea here is that if you can just back off a little bit, and let's say you have you know, six good workouts a week, you're really serious, you're playing sports, you're lifting weights, you're trying to you know, do the best you can. Um, if you took a few of those and traded them in for a session that was way, way easier than your average baseline session, 
And then maybe you took one or two once in a while and pushed yourself a little harder because maybe there's a ceiling that you're bumping up against because you're never quite rested and sharp for a true breakthrough peak performance session. So we're looking at, if you can envision the, um, the Richter scale when they show the earthquake, you know, the, the, the scraggling lines on a graph, you're gonna have lower lows and in return for that, you're gonna have some higher highs where you really set a new personal best uh, on this day because the previous four workouts were kind of easy and gentle. And that thing, boy, if you can embrace that and discipline yourself to say, look, my discipline is gonna come in the area of backing off, taking it easy, letting my training partners go ahead today because I'm looking at a long-term goal and I'm gonna unleash it uh, next weekend rather than a little bit sprinkling in on every single workout. You know, that competitive intensity, you're looking over at the guy using the other rack of weights and so you're gonna throw some extra plates on and do a few stairs across the gym. All that kind of stuff is, hey, I'm not gonna judge it. It's okay if you wanna be an ego-driven uh, you know, hardworking athlete and you get that instant gratification after every workout. But if you want to do something special, that's where you have to take better care of the body and have, a, you know, a little more gentler approach where you're, you're sensitive to backing off when you need to. So interesting. And I want to talk about both things. The one, how can we reduce the carbs? And the other one, how can we more intentionally have these peaks in our training on both low, low and high? What if, uh, like, for example, we, we have two small kids and they are Italian kids and they love pizza and they love pasta, etc. I guess, I guess many people are asking you this, how do I do it with, in the context of a family? Uh, do, you, do you have ideas on that? Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, Sarah Fergroso is one of the best-selling authors in the paleo space, and she gave a talk, a presentation to a lot of people. I was there. It was our retreat that we organized, and she's saying, someone asked her, hey, I got kids. How do I deal with you know, these dietary changes? And she says, well, it's, it's, it's my money in my house, so my kids eat what I serve them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, rock that girl. And I, I went up to her after, I'm like, are you kidding? Your kids aren't eating junk? She goes, no way. And I'm like, oh man, I gotta up my game because I was fighting that battle and it was a tough battle. You know, after the big soccer practice, everyone wants to stop at the, at the smoothie shop and, and throw down a bunch of sugar. Now, if you're active, and you're growing youth, you're going to be able to get away with uh, more consumption of uh, nutrient deficient processed carbohydrates. It's not going to kill you to replenish your glycogen stores after you've spent a lot of time out there exercising and playing hard. Now, today's kids are playing uh, with screens and then they're wandering around the kitchen looking for a sugary treat to consume. And that's a whole different story. And it's extremely destructive to the, the growing youth that needs nutrition at an accelerated rate because they're trying to grow and develop. So it really comes down to um, some habit forming and some rules and guidelines and restrictions and saying, hey, look, this is when you're talking about kids, this is your house. These are the meals that you serve. And when it's time to get a treat, because I didn't want to raise my kids in this vacuum of Brad Kern's perfect life and all my values and beliefs are thrust at them and they, they, they roll around in a bubble. When it's time to get a treat, you make a big deal of having it be a celebratory event and a very well-chosen treat. So you drive across town to the Fresh Bakery because uh, grandma recommended uh, the, the, her friend who, who sits in the back and makes the, uh, the cannolis by hand. I'm a big fan of that. 
but I'm not going to go buy a frozen cannoli in a box with all the refined industrial seed oils and, and chemicals and preservatives on the ingredient list. So if we can be mindful about our celebrations and characterize them as a celebration, hey, we're allowed to go enjoy a wonderful life with that incredibly nice baseline of you know, well-chosen foods and meals and shopping habits. I observed that when 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 the boys were really young, like two, three, four, they were actually paleo in, in nature, uh, fruits and meat. That's what they wanted. And, but my concern was, well, yeah, if I let them just eat fruits and meat, they won't sleep well. They need some carbs, at least in the evening, you know, to calm down and to sleep long enough. Is that is that true or is it one of the beliefs? Uh, I would say that's almost a hundred percent nonsense. I mean, you've you've heard about where consuming carbs in the evening will help stimulate the release of tryptophan, which can help you be a precursor to melatonin. And I think people get so caught up in that, and they're maybe looking for you know an out here to go and consume a meal. But really, the best way to facilitate a good night's sleep is first of all to turn off the digestive system uh, well before bedtime. So we really are not adapted well to consume foods after dark because after dark, when the sun sets, when our environment becomes dark, um, our circadian rhythm wants to turn off those important functions like digestion and transition into a restful night of sleep. So we should strive to consume our meals earlier in the evening and consume healthy, nutritious foods and not worry about the, the particulars or dosing up with some type of ingredient uh, so that we can sleep. Anything you put into your mouth that's, that's calories is going to potentially compromise the ability to fall asleep gracefully. And the other thing is training. Now, my triathlon trainer said exactly what you said. said, Simon, you are training wrong. That's why you are not getting faster. You're not getting fitter. You're just training all the time, one hour, nine kilometers in your comfort zone. Your comfort zone is this zone three training. That's the only thing that is forbidden, Simon. You should do zone two <laughs> and zone five and nothing in between. And But that's the toughest because it's the comfort zone is exactly in the middle how do you mm -hmm. how do you help people intentionally uh, pick mm. up and pick down if if it's hard for them good question thank you yeah so for anyone familiar with endurance training it can be very very frustrating to slow down and condition your body in the proper intensity zone. We call this the aerobic zone and the maximum aerobic heart rate is the limit of your aerobic zone. And when you set that beeper watch on your alarm after reading the calculation on the internet, it's 180 minus your age. And then you go out there and perform a workout it's ridiculously slow from what you're used to because in that uh, comfort zone, like you call it, it's actually, you could call it the slightly uncomfortable zone because you're feeling the effort, you're huffing and puffing, you're sweating, you're trying to concentrate to make it up the hill, then it gets a little easier, then there's another hill, and it's a challenging workout. It's not a brutal like a interval session or a time trial where you're really pushing yourself in a race type mode, but these the general pace that most cardio endurance athletes work out at is slightly too difficult. And so what happens from a metabolic perspective when you exceed that limit of the maximum aerobic heart rate is you start to drift in to a 
uh, more glucose burning zone and a lower fat burning zone. So your maximum fat burning comes at this maximum aerobic heart rate. And then if you were to go faster, you're going to burn more calories. The faster you go, you burn more calories, but you're going to burn a greater percentage of glucose and your fat metabolism is going to drop. If you can envision the two lines on a graph, they intersect and then the fat metabolism drops in favor of glucose metabolism. So again, if you're eating a lot of carbs and then you're training your body to burn carbs, because of the pace that you're working out at, you are basically fine tuning a small engine rather than building the big engine, the Ferrari, if we're talking to Italians, right? So you wanna be patient, take your time and build up your ability to burn fat at a comfortable exercise intensity. Then this magical thing happens when you dedicate, commit yourself to aerobic conditioning is that you start to become faster and faster at the same heart rate. So the heart rate is never gonna change. It's 180 minus your age. It's gonna change one beat per year. It's gonna get lower, right? So if you're a 40 year old athlete out there, 180 minus 40 is 140 beats per minute. That represents the point where you're burning the most fat calories per minute with a minimal amount of glucose burning, a minimal amount of stress hormone production, a minimal amount of uh, lactic acid accumulating in the bloodstream. So it's a very easy, comfortable workout. And at the start, at the beginning of the journey, it's very slow. It's very frustrating. The watch is beeping. You have to walk up the hills rather than jog up the hill, which you could easily jog up the hill, uh, but you're honoring your heart rate rather than your ego. And so then you come back three weeks later and you come back three months later. And someday, if you do this properly, you're going to be jogging up the same hill that you had to walk up, looking at your watch, and it still says 140 beats per minute. And this is how we see the Ironman triathletes setting the records, going for eight hours, running, flying down the marathon course, flying down the bicycle course, because they're so efficient aerobically that they can maintain this incredible pace for hours and hours and hours because their aerobic system has been trained properly. And I, I listened to my triathlon trainer who said exactly this. I did it. I hated him every day because the slow was so slow. The fast was so fast, but I did it. And now when I go running with my friends, there's there, it's universes in between. If you really do it, it's mm. really month by month, same pulse, much higher performance, effortless. It's, it's really working people. And uh, mm -hmm. I have so many questions. Uh, where do we start? One is how do you start your day morning routines? Oh boy, one of my favorite subjects. I thank you for asking, Simon. This is a new thing for me uh, starting, it's now dating back five years. I have done my morning flexibility, mobility, core, leg, arm strengthening routine every single day without missing a day. Uh, and it, that's a special thing for me because I'm kind of a free flowing guy. I answer to myself. I work for myself. I always have. So I haven't had a lot of structure in my life where I could say that I repeat anything every day. So that's been a special aspect of it for me. Uh, but for, for everyone, there's a special time when we first wake up and most of us ruin it immediately. Did you know that 84% of Americans, a recent survey revealed 84% of Americans do the same exact thing as soon as they wake up. Do you know what it is? Yes, he's gesturing if you're listening and not watching on a video. They reach for their mobile device. And the psychology behavioral experts contend that as soon as you grab that device, 
you switch your brain off from this mindful, calm, relaxed, high-level thinking, strategic reasoning mode that you're naturally in when you wake up into the reactive dopamine triggering mode where you're going for the instant gratification of your social media stream, the news of the day, your text messages that have dinged. And uh, it's very difficult to extricate from that instant gratification reactive mode back into high level thinking, strategic reasoning, planning, gratitude, all these things were recommended to do in the morning. Get out your gratitude journal and write a few notes. Whoops, here goes some text message dings. So much for that. And so what I do instead is I hit the ground immediately and commence this deliberate sequence of uh, different drills and exercises. It's a combination of strengthening, core strengthening, yoga, stretches, and then some actual uh, resistance exercise that's kind of difficult at the end. And so it's just been a life-changing thing for me because what's happened over time is I started out really slowly so I could be absolutely sure that this commitment was doable, sustainable. It didn't interfere with a hectic morning. It didn't take too long that I would feel chapped and stressed for time because I, I, I took too much time to exercise. And so over time, as it's become more and more wired into habit, I very gracefully and deliberately added some degree of difficulty, added a new exercise, uh, and made it longer duration. So now it actually turns out to be a pretty legit workout. It's not easy, but for me, it's not too hard either. Uh, I've taken a couple friends through it and they were, they were flopping on the ground halfway through because they're not used to it. But in the, in the continual adherence to my morning routine, uh, I've become fitter such that this thing, I just knock it out without even thinking. It started at a 12 minute commitment. Now it's up to 41 minutes minimum. And a lot of times I will stack some optional things on at the end, like I'm actually flowing right into a workout. I'll head to the track and I'll do my sprint workout one day a week or whatever else I choose. But this template is in place every single day. So I'm not here arguing that I want you to start out with a 40 minute exercise routine. You got the kids running around, they got to get to school. There's real life responsibilities. But if anyone listening can consider this idea and put the phone down and go down to the ground and start out with a seven minute commitment to doing something that's good for your, your legs, your flexibility, your body, your core exercise. Uh, if you're more spiritual and you want to do, um, you know, a, a sequence of yoga stretches that's not physically strenuous, anything counts for this morning routine. But you lock these things into place. They become habit. And then all of a sudden, you become a more disciplined and focused individual in the rest of your life. So this stuff carries over, ideally. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm still uh, looking at YouTube videos of Gianmarco Tamberi, the gold medalist in the high jump. Instead of finishing my book manuscript, you know, I get distracted during the day like everybody else. But I believe that if I can do this and, and tell in public that I have not missed a single day in five years, oh my gosh, it, it's just a wonderful feeling for me to say, you know what, I have some measure of control in my life. I'm not a victim 
of the digital age where everything gets uh, blown out just because the the Netflix uh, queue has, you know, the thing in the lower right corner when you finish a great episode and it says, the next episode will start in nine seconds, eight seconds, seven seconds, six. And I always jump up and grab the remote control and turn off the screen before I'm tempted by the introduction of the next episode because I intended to only watch one and I don't want them to rule my life. I thank them for providing the great program. We all love to enjoy entertainment, but we have to regain control of our life. The morning routine is the best thing I've found for me. How old are you, Brad? Oh my gosh, I am now 56 years old. I feel great. I'm fitter than I was. I'm fitter in nine out of 10 categories than I was when I was a ranked professional triathlete at the age of 30. Uh, I can no longer imagine competing anywhere near that level. I couldn't even uh, finish half of my training workouts today because I have no desire to to push my body through those extreme ordeals. But in every other category, as a sprinter, as a jumper, uh, doing my my uh, strength training, I completed the Murph workout, you know, the famous CrossFit workout. Oh, I did that Murph. for my friends. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. It was, oh no, no, they, we don't do vests when we're over 50 years old. Sorry, right. people. If you're, if you're familiar with the Murph, it's a template CrossFit workout. And if you watch them in the CrossFit games, they also wear like a 25 pound vest. I laughed at that. I'm like, if I can just finish this thing and here's the template, you run one mile and then you commence uh, little sets to finally add up to 300 squats, 200 pushups and 100 pull-ups without stopping no break, and then run another mile, and then you're done. So I think I did uh, 42 minutes or something. It was absolutely brutal, torturous, and I'm proud that I was able to do it. I, I had a crash course to train for it, and it shows that I'm in, in pretty decent shape if I can just throw down and, and do something like that. And then since I'm, uh, since I'm on the mic here, I should also mention that um, three days ago, I had a great endurance feat, probably the most uh, significant endurance thing I've done in uh, 25 years, and that was this world-famous Cactus to Clouds Trail in Palm Springs, California. So we had a 21-mile uh, hike. Uh, the first nine miles ascended 8,500 feet. So that makes it the single most difficult, by elevation gain, the single most difficult hiking trail in the United States, maybe the world. It's just straight up the side of a mountain for nine miles. And uh, I couldn't believe I did it, but my baseline of fitness from doing a lot of strength training, sprinting, uh, weightlifting, allowed me to kind of unleash a little bit of endurance aptitude, even though I've done nothing anywhere near uh, that level. It was a 13 hour hike. The longest hike I've done in many years is probably four or five hours. And, and now some people might go, oh my God, but this guy's here, he's so disciplined and he's, He's crushing it. I'm so far away. So let me also tell you from, from a, a normal person who just did a couple triathlons, but then, of course, with two small kids, I, I couldn't find any time to go on the bike, not once a year. So right now, my minimum, and I want to share this because it helped me really stay sane during the lockdown years because I started it before. So by chance, I read this book by Murakami, what I talk about when I talk about running. And he says that he's running every day. And that concept was new to me. What, you can run every day? All right, if he can, I might. I started it. And then, of course, it was easy. But then my, my kids came 
and uh, I had to do it very early. So I just moved it earlier, earlier, earlier. So when they wake up one hour before, I continue doing it. And then lockdown came and I had already two years of a stream. And now in lockdown, like most people, anxieties uh, and uh, you don't know what's what's the word dark dark uh, emotions right what's what's the world going through here and what how can i protect um, my surroundings that morning routine gave me the strength to stay on track to stay awake to stay present uh, for everybody during these dark months uh, because i knew i can I can rely on myself. There is a structure there. Hmm. I start the day already active. Uh, so it's possible, even if you are not a, an athlete, that you just start, if you're a normal person, you can, you can start it at whatever, at whatever stage you are right now. And, uh, and over years, uh, and then you will become such a fit uh, longevity example as you are. What what are you currently? Oh yeah, one more thing: the micro workouts. The micro workouts. I have seen you create this thing that really helps you train basically every day. Can you unpack your micro workouts? Yeah, thank you for that uh, that that story there because I certainly don't want to come off as this uh, crazy athlete guy. I could never do those kind of things. And I was picking out two things to brag about. Those were two individual days in the whole year. But my everyday life, I'm no longer an elite athlete uh, racing on the pro circuit. Uh, I'm an old guy trying to you know, pursue competitive goals and, and live a fit, healthy life. But my time commitment to being fit or even super fit is not extreme. You just have to do it correctly. And a lot of times it's just getting some basic exercise in, which we all certainly have time to do. Uh, and it goes a long way, especially if it's not too, uh, too challenging, but keeping this kind of uh, uh, consistent level of getting out there and moving every day, rather than having a day where all you did was ride the train, sit in an office or sit home and, and then go for hours of uh, entertainment in front of the screen and you didn't move your body. So we have this obligation to just get up and move more throughout everyday life. And back to some comments we had very early on, your brain works better, thinks better, is more efficient and more productive if you sprinkle in some periods of movement in between these prolonged periods of stillness. So we have a, a human genetic obligation to get up and move around for one or two minutes every 20 minutes rather than sitting for 45, 60, 90 minutes at a time. If we sit for that long, what happens is we start to minimize the oxygen delivery and the blood circulation throughout the body. We have a diminished cognitive function and we have a measurable increase in uh, a measurable decrease in glucose tolerance, increase in insulin resistance, meaning we start to get low energy and hungry for a quick snack of sugar because our body is sitting too long and fat burning starts to become compromised when we don't move. And so anything goes here. You can get up from your desk, you can set an alarm or, or use an app or something and go run up a flight of stairs, walk back down, run up a flight of stairs again, 
and then sit right back down to your screen if you're on something really important or every couple hours, maybe you can take five or six or seven minutes, go outside, get some fresh air, get some sunlight. And then this concept of micro workouts is now emerged as a legitimate fitness strategy. So to do a workout does not mean that you have to drive your car across town check into the front desk of the health club, get your towel, get all dressed up, get into the classroom, do an hour long session that's probably too difficult and strenuous for most people in there because they're coming from such a seated and inactive life. Instead, you can sprinkle in these little bursts of explosive effort throughout the day. So I have some great YouTube videos. You can type in uh, Brad Kern's micro workout ideas. And if you have, for example, a, a pull-up bar in the doorway, you can go and perform one set of pull-ups and then carry on with your day. It takes about 30 seconds. If you have nothing and you're just working in a cubicle, you can stand up every hour and perform a set of 20 deep squats where you're just uh, doing air squats. And guess what? Even if you're fit, even if you're riding a lot of miles on the bicycle and you're a triathlete, whatever, when you get to number 17, number 18, number 19, it's tough. You start to breathe hard. And that's what we're looking for is a little bit of uh, energy expenditure where you're breathing hard, uh, you're, you're feeling alive, you're getting this wonderful immediate hormonal response, and then you're back to your busy day. So I'm not asking people to, to struggle and squeeze in another to-do list item on the busy day. This is just sort of natural and routine. And so I have these examples on the video and in my writings where uh, I have a hexagonal deadlift bar, you know, the great strength training tool, uh, the centerpiece of the gym, and it's on the side of my yard on the way from the kitchen to the garbage can. So every time I take the garbage out from the kitchen, my rule is if I pass by that bar, I do one set of six or seven reps. It's nothing. I mean, it, you know, it, it's nothing to do. It takes, again, 30 seconds, and then I'm back with my busy day. But if you want to check back uh, 365 days later, and I've lifted 200 pounds, which again is no big deal, right? The the strength training listeners can go, well, that's nothing. <laughs> and it's it's something, but it's not overly challenging. But if I lift six times 200 pounds, let's say 1,200 pounds, and I do that uh, a few hundred times a year, that adds up to a uh, elevated platform from which I launch all my formal fitness workouts. So let's say I am going to go do a deadlift workout out there uh, once a week, or I'm going to the gym and I'm going to do deadlift and squat and all these things. Because I sprinkle in these micro workout opportunities, uh, I have a much better chance of performing better, minimizing injury risk, and being a fitter overall athlete. Same with the example of the Murph workout that my friend wanted to do on his birthday. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. But guess what? I've been doing pull-ups several days a week, maybe it's only one set, maybe it's a proper workout once in a while, but it's from the difference between zero and having micro workouts sprinkled into your day is phenomenal. And everyone will notice it when you start get going, you go out and do your regular workouts that last for an hour or you play your sports, you're going to the soccer field, playing pickup soccer, everything feels a little bit better because you've become a more active person without any sacrifice to your busy time schedule. And this is so practical because everybody can do it, right? We don't need to go to the gym. Uh, the gyms, can, they can lock down. We, everything is a gym with this mindset. <laughs> and so right. when I saw your video, I went, okay, what can I do? Rule, 
whenever I go to the toilet, 10, 10 um, uh, push-ups. 10 push-ups every time I go to the toilet. And then I, I took some, some weights and I put them uh, between rooms. So whenever I go to the kitchen and I see this, this five kilogram thing, I would just uh, do a couple of things. And then, and then my kids, my kids are 20, 20 kilograms, 30 kilograms. So I can do <laughs> and they love it. And so integrating these small things, uh, and, and we don't need to make a one hour commitment to anything, which, which is much smaller. I have eliminated the desk. I don't have a desk since five years. I have no desk. I'm sitting on the floor right now. Wow. I have no chairs and no desk since five years. I'm not missing them. Everybody goes, but don't you have back pain? No, <laughs> my, my back is fine. I'm doing yoga eight hours uh, per day. Uh, but what about your knees? Yes, of course, the knees hurt when I stand up for a couple minutes, but that's okay. That's okay. I, I get from 8 to 6 p.m. So I, I work 8 to 6, Monday to Friday, and that's stretching time. I'm, I'm so miserable at stretching. I would never do that, but automatically I have to do it while I move. There is no other way I'm stretching. So micro things, sometimes even by eliminating just a chair. Mm. And um, how old do you want to get? Oh, I have this uh, one, two, three uh, intention in my mind. I think about it a lot. Uh, so 123 would represent the record because right now the oldest human on record, Jeanne Calmont from France, she died at age 122 in 1997. And I feel like it's going to be as easy as one, two, three. So that's my, that's my goal. And um, it sounds uh, pretty ambitious, but I'm really uh, becoming more and more interested in the power of intentional thinking and verbalizing uh, what you want to do with your life. So uh, aside from that, that goal that I just mentioned, there's all kinds of other stories that we tell ourselves every day. And we use words like try or maybe or I hope or we'll see. Uh, and then, you know, you can you can listen to experts in these fields where they're saying, look, um, these words that you choose are very important and you got to believe it in your deep in yourself and verbalize that as a as a uh, a deep belief. And so I'm working very hard on that in many areas of life. Uh, I'm trying to up my game in my uh, financial and economic opportunities and things like that, where I can get more focused rather than, uh, you know, wishing things will, will come my way by magic. And especially when it comes to uh, lifestyle, behavior change, dietary change, things like that. Uh, for example, um, you know, I'm going to declare the processed foods as being toxic, poisonous, and uh, leading directly associated with uh, disease and demise that we've all been touched by so sadly. If we're talking about cancer, we're talking about cognitive decline, dementia, heart disease. We all have relatives, friends uh, that have that have been touched by this if we haven't already been ourselves. And so, uh, if you can make a you know firm declaration that you're not going to put something into your body that's directly associated with elevated disease risk, you can go through your life feeling free and loose and not tempted when the, uh, the, the, the waitress comes around with a dessert tray or you're walking through the store and you're seeing all these um, 
you know, these consumer products that the companies put out knowing they're unhealthy for the human. Uh, it's just like the, the the cigarette days of old, which have now been overturned, thankfully. But at one point, we had billboards and magazine ads uh, telling you how cool it was to smoke cigarettes. And now we can look back and think that's ridiculous. But today, we're watching the world's leading athletes uh, drinking their Gatorade and vitamin waters. And I love Cristiano Ronaldo at the press conference where um, the, the, the event was sponsored by Coca-Cola. And he said, move that bottle away. I'm drinking only water. And he didn't want to be filmed with a bottle of Coke visible in his camera frame. And when more athletes do that, instead of taking millions of dollars endorsements to pour sugar down their throat and tell other people to do so, that's when we start making progress. So um, I, I might be coming off uh, serious and rigid, but I'm a fun-loving, freewheeling guy, and I want to live my life exactly how I want. And I don't want to be beholden to uh, you know, corporate marketing and advertising interests to make my food choices. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find my own way, navigate my own way to more healthy living very intentionally. And that's how I'm going to get to one, two, three. <laughs> you are going to be there, I'm sure. And uh, so on the negative side, we can, we can declare things to be below our standards. We don't want that. And that is really tangible. Um, what do you do for, for the upper side? Do you, do you practice affirmations, goal setting, visualization, or do you just take the day how it, how it flows, how it comes? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a, a strong in those categories of being being a really um, uh, methodical person, uh, writing down everything. And I, I like listening to those people. Um, there's a book called Deep Work by Cal Newport, which was really great and influenced me because uh, we realize how flimsy and scattered we can get when we have hyperconnectivity. And so my, my primary or a lot of the time I've spent in my career in the last 20 years has been writing books. Okay. So um, to start with a blank screen, and finish with something that maybe one day would go on Simon Stack in the background there. It's a pretty uh, daunting project. And so you need to have that discipline to turn off the hyperconnectivity in order to you know, go from blank, blank screen to 270 pages of material. So I've found success in putting myself in winning situations where I don't have to worry about my temptation, my willpower, and my discipline. For example, I would go drive into uh, the, the parking lot and wait for my wife while she was working uh, purposely in an area where there was no internet. And I did a lot of my great writing and great work sitting in the car in that parking lot in an uncomfortable car seat, right? I didn't need, she said, you can come in and, and, and work at a colleague's desk. It's after hours. There's no one there. You can get internet. I said, no, thanks. I'm going to sit in this car and get cramped up and, and suffer a little bit because this is going to place me in, a, in an environment to succeed. The same thing with the morning routine. I don't know how busy my day is going to get and whether I'm going to fit in a nice workout or something's going to come up, but I'll tell you what I'm doing the first 40 minutes of the day. You can uh, replace that with 12 minutes if you want to try this out and, and do something that's reasonable and sustainable for you. So the more things we can put into place to help us succeed, rather than hoping that we're going to have a disciplined day versus a lazy day, that's when things uh, really, uh, really click into gear. Same with uh, going to bed. I'm, I got so uh, uh, dialed in with my sleep habits when I was an athlete that I carry those forward uh, into everyday life such that now um, I 
I'm so sensitive to getting the correct number of hours of sleep that I have no problem, you know, turning off and going to bed at the right time. I'm not tempted to stay up because I know the next day I'm going to feel like crap the entire day. And it might be a little bit of baby uh, wussy personality in there. But I know when I miss even an hour of sleep and I do not like it so much so that I won't miss an hour of sleep no matter what. Do you have e evening routines? How to calm down? How do you to make sure? Um, I suppose so, uh, but there nothing special like the morning routine. Um, you know, one of the goals is to minimize my exposure to light and digital stimulation after dark and be more careful with that the later it gets. Uh, but I will, I will violate that rule sometimes and we'll watch uh, entertaining programming right up until uh, bedtime. Uh, but, you know, the building of the habit of going to bed on time uh, has has been so strong that I can handle uh, this and that diversion, right? Same with a, a sugary treat. I had a cheesecake on my birthday. I was sitting there at a restaurant with my daughter and um, she she's watching me eat this cheesecake and she goes, hey, dad, you're crushing that thing <laughs> because I was eating so quickly. I'm like, wow, this is good. This is really good. It's because, you know what? I don't have too much cheesecake in my life but I love it just like anybody else. And when it's time to celebrate a treat, she made me aware that I was eating it so quickly because it was such an intense stimulation. That's why I wanna have these rules in place that I'm not an evening slice of cheesecake eater to the point that it's just you know sitting in there as a habit that's difficult to break. I have a show on my podcast you can search for it. It's called the Fatty Popcorn Boy Saga. And it's about me because what happened was I was making these uh, giant bowls of popcorn. We had a big family gathering. So there's a lot of people there on the holidays. And I'd come in with this popcorn that I was expert at where I put not only melted butter, but lemon flavored olive oil sprinkled in with a lot of salt and everyone loved it. This is the best popcorn I've ever had. And so I made it the next night and then the next night. And then I got home from family celebration gathering. And then I make it again and again. And I stepped on the, uh, the bathroom scale, which I rarely do. Uh, but I saw a number that I'd never seen in my whole life. And I'm like, wait a second, you know, I weigh 165. That's my weight uh, for the last 30 years of adult life. And it says 172. What's going on here? And what happened was I'd allowed some excess body fat to creep onto the uh, onto the picture here, the, the health and fitness promoter uh, that was just completely unwitting and, and not really aware of. And so I had to go to work and do the difficult effort of dropping excess body fat. And it was a really great experience because I've never really been in that situation before. I was just writing about it for years and years and telling people how to lose weight. And so to actually be in there and to get those thought processes going where you have to make decisions like, wait, I set a goal. Am I going to stick with that goal or am I going to have another bowl of popcorn? And it was, um, it was enlightening and illuminating. Um, I did it. And um, I don't want to allow that kind of, um, I don't want to slide back in that direction because it's so much more trouble to recalibrate and put all that discipline and focus into place rather than just having the discipline focus at the outset to say that popcorn is going to be a celebratory treat or cheesecake on my birthday rather than allowing things to leak in because you don't have those rules in place. Which of your books, if somebody is new to your world, which of your books would you recommend starting? Uh, we have a new book out in 2021 called Two Meals a Day. 
And it's a nice overview of how to recalibrate from that carbohydrate dependency lifestyle that I talked about into an into the realm of being fat adapted and being able to feel wonderful eating an average of two meals a day, uh, rather than thinking that you need to sit down at these regular intervals, like we've been programmed to do for uh, a couple hundred years since the industrial revolution. Um, We can certainly do fine on two delicious meals a day, Um, cutting back on things like snacking and throwing, uh, you know, little calories into your body throughout the day, because those interfere with fat burning. And it also has a lot of nice lifestyle recommendations inside there. So when we talk about diet and there's a hundred, 500 diet books on the shelf, 5,000 on Amazon, um, it's important to bring into context the other areas of life that contribute or compromise your ability to adhere to a devoted diet. So we talk about exercise, we talk about sleep, we talk about stress management, because if you're living a high stress lifestyle, it's going to be very difficult to cut those sweets and treats out of your diet because those are directly aligned with this hectic, high-stress, sugar-burning, sugar-eating pace of going through life. Light after dark, insufficient sleep habits, overly stressful exercise patterns, or not enough daily movement, not enough exercise. All these things kind of push you in the direction of getting your energy from a, a, a soda rather than from you know healthy living and burning body fat. And your YouTube channel uh, is is amazing. I love it. Where and uh, and you have podcasts. Where can people besides reading? Where where can they go and find you? Oh my gosh! You go visit bradkerns.com. You're gonna find all kinds of fun stuff, videos, and listening to my podcast called the B Rad Podcast. I would love to connect, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share on your great show. Thanks so much, Simon. You rock. And who should be my next guest? Oh, right. Uh, I'm going to say Dude Spellings from Austin, Texas, uh, the host of the new Renaissance Dude podcast. And he's not a uh, prominent fitness health uh, personality. He's a regular guy living a regular life with a regular job. But he is so deep, deeply immersed into all the research and the actual uh, living the dream, living the lifestyle, walking his talk. He's a big enthusiast of cold therapy. He knows a lot about blue light exposure and how to mitigate that. Um, diet, exercise, really interesting, fascinating. And he's doing some uh, cutting edge uh, physical feats that would be interesting for your listeners to, uh, to learn about. Super cool. Thank you, Brad, for being here, for sharing your journey with the world and with our community. And uh, please come back soon. Thank you, Simon. Have a good day. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.